we're looking through the sermon series at the Holy Spirit. And in traditional Christian iconography, the Holy Spirit is represented as a dove. Because the Spirit is, is not tame. We don't control the Spirit. There's a mysterious quality to it, which I think is why so many of us struggle to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I wanted for the next several weeks to look at some work of the Spirit and who the Spirit is. And today I want to look at a particular Bible passage that references the Spirit. I find this passage I'm about to read deeply insightful. I think it explains in a very piercing way why the world is as it is. I think it also addresses the question that many of you have wondered about. Why is it that some people seem to be, live such lives of Christ-like faith? They seem to be so courageous, so generous, so self-controlling, so peaceful. Whereas other people who also claim to be Christians seem to not have any of those qualities in their lives. In fact, maybe you're here today as a Christian and, one of the re- uh, and you're not a Christian and one of the reasons you haven't been attracted to the church is because you knew some people who came to church every Sunday but seemed to not be anything like Jesus. What we'll read about today will address why that's the case. Or perhaps you're here today and, and you've never really made a commitment to the faith because it seems to you impossible to do the things that Jesus calls his people to do. For example, you'll remember Jesus says to love your enemies. That's a pretty tall order. And so perhaps you've said, I'm the kind of person, I don't want to start something that I know I can't do. And so you've stayed at arm's distance from the faith. What we're going to read today is going to address all those things. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would come and work through the words of the Scripture. And between my words and your hearing, God would work and give us what we need to hear. This is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Galatians is a letter in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote. It is the only letter that Paul wrote that's not really positive about the people to whom he's writing. In fact, he's really upset. And he's upset because he believes they're getting a wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian. And it really bothers him, so he's really worked up in the letter. Galatians is a pretty difficult letter to understand. Perhaps you've tried to read it, flipped your Bible open, struggled with it. But there's some powerful and beautiful passages such as the one I'm about to read here. This is near the end. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So in summary, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So there's this two forces in opposition. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfless ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we are led by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would use these things we're talking about. So, Lord, take my words and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. And take our hearts and teach them to walk step by step with the Spirit. Amen. According to the Apostle Paul, the world is broken out like this. There are what our translation calls the sinful desires over here and the spirit over here. Real quick word of Bible study. The actual word that Paul uses in Galatians 5, 16, if we can put that up, 
He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The actual word there is the word for flesh, like capital F, flesh. Now, the reason translators don't like to use that is because what do you think of if we talk about the desires of the flesh? Yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you think about. I think of the same things when you say the desires of the flesh. So this translation tries to say sinful nature, but in older translations, and in the original Greek, it's like flesh, like capital F. And the division here is not, there's not a war between like, like my body and my mind. That's not what the church is talking about. It's between what Paul calls the desires of the flesh, capital F, and the spirit over here. So I want to talk through today what those desires are like and what's the difference and why we are the way we are. See, one of the things that you and I often think is that there's just neutral people, ordinary people. And some people choose to do bad things, and these are bad people, and they're not religious people. And some people choose to do good things, and they become religious people. They become good folks. According to Paul, that's the exact opposite way to think about it. According to the Apostle Paul and the statement of the church, it's the opposite. See, at first, there's like this cosmic war going on between the desires of the flesh and the work of the Spirit. And then, once we decide which side we're going to work on, then the things come in our lives. So it's not that you're first given over to envy. It's that when you start being led or walking or working with the flesh, you become an envious person. And it is not over here that you say, I'm today going to be peaceful. On the contrary, Paul says, when you're walking with the Spirit, a peace will come in your life. So let's look about what it means to walk or live according to the flesh, to the sinful nature. See, according to the story of the scriptures, from way back at the dawn of time, it talks about in Genesis chapter 1 in the Garden of Eden, the state of humanity is this. God created us, prepared good things for us, and we said, we don't want you to be our God, we want to be our gods. We want to be in control. We're going to make our decisions. And since then, the state of humanity has been, in the words of the scriptures, a fallen state We talk about the fall, capital F, and now we live under the power of the flesh, according to the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're not a religious person or you don't believe in the scriptures, just think about the nature of the world. If you look around at the world, and all different societies, all different language, all different levels of development for thousands of years, one of the characteristics of humanity to quote Thomas Hobbes is that life is often nasty, brutish and short. Isn't that true? Look at the headlines this morning. There may have been one or two good stories, heartwarming stories, but by and large the stories are about brokenness, betrayal, blood, murder, war, torture, isolation, loneliness, And one of the reasons we have such trouble is because we think that we just need to try hard and we can fix ourselves. So a new form of government, a new form of technology, a new medicine, a new technique will change how humanity works. People about 130 years ago really believed this, particularly in Europe and in America. They thought, you know, we we can perfect what's wrong with the human. And then the First World War happened. And then the Holocaust happened. And then what happened in the Balkans happened. And then there was genocide in Rwanda. And there's torture in Syria. And there's September 11th. See, we can't fix ourselves. But don't we think that that's how it's supposed to work? When you give yourself over 
to the power or the desires of the capital F flesh, or the sinful natures are called in this translation, the result are the things that Paul lists here. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And again, this is not a representative list. This is just off the top of his head, as it were. This is what results. This is what has resulted from the fall. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. See, let me stop right there. Often in church, when we talk about sins or the desires of the flesh, that's what we talk about. We, we tend to focus on those sorts of things. But if you notice, that's actually a very small part of the list. Paul goes on. Idolatry and witchcraft, this is verse 20. And you know, that sounds kind of old-fashioned or kind of crazy Bible language. Do you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is worshiping the created things rather than the creator. You don't think we do that today? You don't think that's what the advertisements on the television or the billboards are trying to tell us? Worship this, not the creator. Don't parents, don't we often get ourselves in trouble as parents when we tend to almost worship our children rather than the God who blessed us with children? Idolatry, in fact, I would say is probably the preeminent sin of modern people. Worshiping the created things rather than the creator. And then he says witchcraft. Now that sounds crazy to us because we have the idea of like some ladies in the dark thing stirling a witch's brew like at the beginning of Macbeth. I don't really see that as a major problem for who we are right now. But you know what witchcraft is according to the scriptures? Witchcraft is using the supernatural for your own ends. One form of this is when you say, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. God, if you just work the way that I want you to, and I'm asking you to, then I will, of course, respond like that. You sort of make a deal. And what about the things that we read? The kind of, often the books that are bestsellers in the New York Times lists are, are, are about somehow using the supernatural to our ends. I think that's actually a, a major thing that a lot of us are engaged in. Not just something that happened for primitive people 2,000 years ago. But Paul goes on. He's not just talking about what we would call kind of the typical church-type sins. Then he says, hatred, discord, jealousy. Have you ever thought about that, that jealousy is a result? It's a work of the flesh of going in one direction. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He's just saying these, these are just an example of the kind of things that happen when humanity doesn't walk with God but walks according to the flesh. So it's easy for us as religious people. We can quickly see the people who are doing certain sorts of these sins here. There are people, maybe you're here today, there are people who try to find their own way and they've rejected kind of what they were raised with perhaps or, or other things and they're, they're saying, I'm going in this direction. And you know these people and maybe this is your story and often those people, their lives are just a mess. This is the story of the gossip sheets and the tabloid magazines about a lot of the poor folks who live in Hollywood. They pursue kind of themselves to a crazy degree and all it ever leads to is brokenness and discord and betrayal in their lives but you can be a church going person you can sit in a pew every week you can know a lot about the scriptures and still be living according to the flesh according to Paul and this is the reason why you sometimes see such a great difference between different sorts of Christians see some people claim to be Christians, and boy, their lives are just overflowing with the sort of things we'll talk about in a bit. They're good folks, and you want to be around them. And there's other people you know that, yeah, they're, they're not maybe committing sexual immorality, and, and yeah, they're in church every Sunday, and maybe they're not drunk or doing the things that Paul kind of lists here. They're not out partying every weekend, but they're pretty hateful people. 
They're jealous people. They're self-righteous. Because it's still about them. They're they're still trying to save themselves, work through it in their own way. I wonder if that's your story today. I wonder if you're somebody who's been in church for a long time, but you're not being filled with, as Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. I'd suggest it might be because you're still trying to be in charge of your own life. You're still committing the sin of Adam and Eve from so many years ago, which is, God, I'm in control. I'll use you as it sees fit. When my child is sick, I'll pray to you, but other than that, Lord, I'm in control of my life. And in a place like Dallas, where we have so many talented people, people who do such a good job in their jobs, people of great gifts, I think that is a particular sin that we fall into because we think it's about us and we think that we can work it out on our own. It is not that first we choose hatred and discord and jealousy, it's that first we don't choose God and the inevitable result are those things in our lives. I have a little nephew who's the same age as my son. So they're both two years old. And when they're together, it's like having a bunch of raccoons around. It's just, it's just crazy. You can't, you, you can't keep things safe. They're always getting in trouble somewhere, and they're half the time fighting and half the time wanting to be with the other. That's just how it is. Well, my little nephew is learning to tie his shoes or tie his shoes. So he's, a, he's fascinating with shoes. When he comes to visit, he'll want to put on my shoes, put on my flip-flops, and put on his own shoes all at once. So he'll have his shoe... And he wants to start tying it, but he's two. And he doesn't yet have the dexterity in his fingers to tie his shoe properly. So he gets really mad. He's crying, throwing a tantrum. So what do you want to do as an adult? You want to walk in and tie his shoe for him. And guess what happens as soon as you try to tie his shoe? Yeah, he gets even more upset and throws a bigger fit. And, and as an adult, you're standing there, and it's diff- it's, you don't know if you want to kind of laugh or just get exasperated at the poor little guy. Because he's doing the very thing that are ca- that's causing him to be upset and he can't admit it or can't recognize it. Now he's two. And that's an appropriate, perhaps, response at the age of two. But what about those of us who are 22 and 42 and 82? See, the state of humanity, according to the Apostle Paul, is when we live according to the flesh, we're like that little boy. We're doing something. It's causing us problems, but we refuse to acknowledge the real problem, which is we don't know how to do it. And we need to turn ourselves over to someone who does. Is that your story today? This is also the reason why religious people often carry secret sins around. Because we don't want other people to know that we're not perfect. That we need a lot of help in our lives. And so we're afraid to admit it. Often church people, rather than being the ones who should be most forthright, saying, boy, I'm really struggling with this or that sin. I'm really struggling in my marriage. I'm really tempted in my business. I'm deep in debt. Rather than us admitting that and asking for others to pray for us and to intercede for us and for help, we often keep it closed up. And as Paul preached about, Paul Rasmussen preached about several weeks ago, whenever you keep secrecy on those things, it always leads to destruction. That's what it is to live according to the flesh. But there's another way. And I just want to tell you, I have good news for you this morning. Because the other way has nothing to do with how smart you are. It has nothing to do with what kind of life you've led up to this point, what kind of mistakes you've made, how deep in sin you've been living. It has nothing to do whether you know a lot about the scriptures or not. It has everything to do with God's power working in your life. On the one hand, says Paul, 
The state of humanity in the fallen world is to live according to the flesh, the capital F, the desires of kind of fallen sinful human nature, and that leads to destruction. But he says, and this is why he writes the letter, I'm telling you, walk by the Spirit, verse 16, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a promise. Because according to Paul, it's not how hard you try. It's how hard God was willing to work on your behalf. So if the acts of the sinful nature are this over here, the things we've listed, this is what it looks like to have fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, this is, not a rep- this is a representative list, not a comprehensive list. This is what God produces in your life. Now, what all the commentators say is that there's a per- it's significant that Paul says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Now, in English, it doesn't really work because fruit can be a plural word for us. You know, like I could say, I had a lot of fruit to eat this morning. But in Greek, you can't do that. Just like I can't say, I had a lot of orange this morning. Right? You say oranges, singular and plural. In the same way, in Greek, in Greek, fruit is either a singular word or a plural word. So it's not that there are different sorts of fruits of the Spirit. It's that the fruit the Spirit produces in your life is like a diamond with many facets. One facet is love, one is joy, one is peace, one is patience, one is kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If other people around you who know you well, would they say that they're seeing fruit of the Spirit in your life? Are you demonstrating an increased amount of joy, peace, faithfulness, self-control? If not, perhaps it's time for you to begin to learn to walk by the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul says. And I've thought about this really deeply this week. And this is what I think it means to walk by the Spirit. Some of you know that I have a an inordinate desire for Chick-fil-A sweet tea. I love the stuff. I should say I used to have it. My wife, two months ago, sort of looked at me and said, this is perhaps my words, you're getting a little tubby, why don't you lay off the sweet tea? So I have, I haven't had it for like two months. I'm so blessed to be married. So, but I used to really desire it. And I remember it was probably about a year ago, See, one of my problems is I like places where you can get a free refill. So I'll get the biggest cup, drink as much as I can, and fill it up and take it with me on the road. You know that? And I had to stop by Highland Park Methodist to pick up a bunch of stuff from the church. And I did this thing. I had one big box to pick up, so I picked that up. And then you kind of lay it against your knee, and I had some books to pick up. And then I had my full glass of sweet tea on the top. And you kind of stand like this. And you begin to walk. And anyone who sees you says, this is a disaster waiting to happen. What do they say? Can I help you? Can I do anything for you? And what do you say? No. Well, what? Of course not. I'm fine. And so you're, you're walking. And I cared about the church stuff, but I really cared about my sweet tea. And I begin to see this sort of rock. You know that? And even what's happening, I think, okay, I know how this is going to end. And sure enough, it spoiled, spilled over all my stuff and all over myself. And I made a mess. And I ruined the stuff I had, and I lost my tea. Work with me here. But I think that's a very small picture of our problem. 
And I think the first step of what it means to walk in the Spirit is just to admit that you can't do it on your own. See, some of you are tremendously gifted, and you, you, you are well-known in your field and in your family for having certain types of success. But sooner or later, there's going to come things in your life, sufferings, sicknesses, that you can't control, that you can't fix on your own. And it's going to force you to admit what has been true the whole time that you've just been ignoring, which is you can't do it by yourself. You need help. In fact, you really need to say, I can't carry these things without making a huge mess. God, I want you to carry them. The first thing it means to walk in the Spirit, and you can do this this afternoon, you can do it right now, you can do it tomorrow morning, in fact, I'd suggest you do it every morning, is to begin your day on your knees and say, God, this day is before me. I can't do it, but you can. I can't love my enemies today, but you did, and you do. Lord, I can't show faithfulness to my spouse today, I'm tempted otherwise, I don't want to forgive, I have no grace to give, but God, you can. So Lord, give it to me today. Bless me with those things today. The first step of walking in the Spirit is just to admit that you need help. And if that sounds eerily similar to the first step of a 12-step program, I think you'd be right on to something. One of the most fundamental things you and I need to realize is that we are nothing but humble creatures and God is in control and that we need the creator to work in our lives. See, Paul says, if you walk according to the Spirit, God will work in your life in a certain way. It's a promise. So the first step to walking in the Spirit is to sort of say, I'm carrying all this stuff, I'm dropping it, I'm making a mess. God, would you help me? I need your peace. I need your joy. God, today I'm I'm in a suffering place. I'm, I'm sick. Somebody I love is sick. I can't have joy today because my circumstances are drowning me but I need you to give me the joy that comes from knowing you regardless of the circumstances. That's the first step of what it means, I think, to walk in the Spirit. And here's the second. I think it, walk is such a great term because it's a relational term. Do you know what I mean? Walking is not something that you're gonna, you're gonna just have a checklist and say, okay, I did that today, I'm walking according to the Spirit. Walking is kind of a, a constant dependence, dependence on the Lord. Right now, I'm a dad of a little two-year-old boy, and he has to hold my hand when we cross the street. That's the rule. And I like holding his hand. But, you know, in 40 years, I hope I don't have to hold his hand when he crosses the street. I want him to grow up and develop. But you know what? I'm a grown man, and I still call my dad for things. It's different, of course, but I'll still call him, hey, Pop, can you help me with this? I'm a grown man, but I still need mom in my life. In the same way that when you walk with the Spirit, it's not that you don't learn, you don't grow, and after a time you'll develop more joy, more peace. But there's a relationship there. It's a daily dependence with God. I just wonder if rather than once a week when we come and and pray and ask God to work in our lives, what would your life look like if every morning before you flipped on your iPhone, before you flipped on the lights, you just said, God, work in my life today. Be with me today today. I need you. And what if you, before you've checked what the stock market has done overseas, before you looked at the sales reports, what if you just, just read a little bit of scripture in the morning? Listen, I know scripture is difficult. There's a lot we don't understand. But there's a lot of people that I know in the world who have no education, no 
sort of uh, intellectual cultivation, and they are deeply faithful people for whom the scriptures are life. So the parts you don't understand, just keep reading. Do it over and over again. Read what you do and focus on the promises you can understand, and God will work. And then I think the last part of walking in the Spirit is just to be open to perhaps where the Spirit is leading. And over time, I think you'll cultivate that sense, and you'll learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. And you just do it day after day, year after year, for the rest of your life. And this is what will happen. Over time, you will begin to demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And over time, you'll not have the same desire to gratify the desires of the flesh. Over time, it will be easier for you to abstain from certain things, to say no to certain behaviors, to treat people in a different way. And that's why I like the metaphor that Paul uses. He doesn't say the work of the Spirit, the product of the Spirit. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. You know, and I've talked about this before, one of the great things about an organic metaphor like that is that it takes time. Overnight, although God can work this way, often it is not the case that someone goes from being full of hate to being full of perfect love. It doesn't seem to usually happen. It's a gradual process. Just as at first, you know, the orange is just a little seed. And sometimes the growth is slow. Can I just give you a word of encouragement this morning? Let's say somebody, boy, you're trying to walk in the spirit. You're saying, God, work in my life. I'm giving my life over to you today. And 10 minutes later, your wife says something to you, your spouse says something to you, a coworker said something, and you snap right back. Can I just give you some encouragement? Remember that some fruit takes time to grow and mature. Just keep trusting in God as, we've, as even the little kids have been singing this week and see what the Lord will do in your life. Now, there are times, of course, in any kind of organic growth when things grow up overnight, like the weeds in uh, my garden. Sometimes they just spring up very quickly. And so perhaps you're, you're, you're showing all kinds of fruit in your life. Can I give you a word of wisdom and encouragement that when that stops happening, as it probably will, don't be discouraged. God just is doing something else. There's a different season. Not everything grows in the winter, but the winter is appropriate to prepare for the growing season. And finally, one of the things I like about this metaphor about calling it fruit is that in the middle of this orange, there's all kinds of goodness, and there's a bunch of seeds. How wise is God both in the physical world and in the world of our hearts that when the fruit is produced, it also produces way to produce more fruit? In fact, one of the ways in which you can evaluate your life and say, what is God doing in my life is to look and see Is God using your fruit to produce fruit in others? I was talking to somebody this week in our church, and this person was just having difficulty in uh, his or her place of work and in his or her family. And this person and I just came to the realization, which is, you know what? You can't do anything to change somebody else. Have you ever noticed that? You think you can. You want to. But ultimately, they are independent people with free will that God has gifted them with, and there is nothing you can do to change their behavior. But if you want to change the situation in which you're in, if you're in an industry, if you're in an office and there's just no integrity, if it's about backstabbing and gossiping, if you want to change that, walk with the Spirit, let fruit be produced in your life, and I guarantee you, over time, 
the seeds from your fruit will grow fruit in others. God will use it like that. In fact, when you start showing love and peace in your life, it affects others and that's how they change. They don't change through anger and enmity, they change through love and forgiveness. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Don't walk according to the desires of the flesh. And God will produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. And the good news then is, is that it doesn't matter who you are today. You could be such a, forgive the term, a loser. You could be such a moral loser. You could have screwed up every relationship you've ever been in. You could be making bad choice after bad choice. You could be someone who's been in church for years and full of self-righteousness. It doesn't matter because the promise is ultimately not about you. In fact, as the Paul says, just to make it very clear, those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires in some mystical and mysterious way when Christ was suffering on the cross and his flesh was crucified, the capital F power of the flesh was also crucified. And so, the good news I have to give to you today is that you don't have to live like this any longer. And according to the power of God, the world doesn't have to be like this any longer and one day, it won't be. So my prayer for you and for me is that we'd admit that we need help and we need to hand over our anxieties, our worries, our addictions, our families, our careers over to God. Then on a daily basis, we would begin to just say, God, I just need you to work in my life today. That we'd be attentive and receptive to the call of the Spirit in our life, to simple nudgings and whisperings. And that we would trust that those who walk according to the Spirit will not continue to want to gratify the desires of the flesh, but over time, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in their lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.